Welcome to the Heart of Healing, the good news episodes. In these episodes, we'll speak with people who are helpers, who are positive, compassionate, and who are bringing a bit of good news into our lives in these stressful times. Listen with an open heart to those who are offering their hearts and talents to all of us. It is our wish that each of these episodes will bring a smile to your face and hope to your heart. I'm very honored today to have as our guest, Heidi Rome, who is a mentor for moms with severely autistic children. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you so much, Tom. It's a, a real pleasure to be here with you today. Well, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you. And, and I, I want you, I'm going to ask you to share, if you will, with the audience, what brought you to this work, wonderful work you're doing. We'll start there, I think. Yes, well, I was, uh, the universe brought me to this work. Um, I have two wonderful sons. One is 19 years old, and he's uh, going to be a, a sophomore in college. And my younger guy, Ethan, is 16, and Ethan has severe autism. And that has been quite the up and down journey. And I always felt that I wanted to become the resource that I had not had on the journey to be of assistance to other mothers, knowing how very challenging and difficult uh, and confronting it can be. It must have been absolutely shocking for you to have that happen in your life. Completely shocking. Um, and I was not a good sport about it. I can <laughs> tell you, um, you know, I, I remember when uh, there were all kinds of hints and Ethan was missing milestones and he was a silent baby and there were all kinds of clues that things were not typical. And I remember we started bringing him for testing and he was getting physical therapy. And then after quite a while, he was not quite two years old yet, the doctor used the word autism for the first time. And I remember thinking my first reaction when she said that Ethan had autism, um, I got really angry. And I, I, I didn't say it out loud, but I really thought, what's wrong with you? You know, like meaning the doctor. Yes, of course, of course. You know, there's nothing wrong with him. What's wrong with you? You don't know him. And I, I really went into anger and denial in the beginning, which lasted quite a number of years um, in my resistance of that diagnosis and, and I, what it would mean. I understand that many times in many situations, denial is the first response. Uh, and it, it's, it's understandable, unfortunately. Yes. Well, it's, it's actually quite brilliant when you think of just divine design of, of a human being. Um, it is the mind's way of protecting you. Um, right. It's the mind saying, oh, that's too much to handle right now. Let me, you know, begin to absorb that in pieces because it's just too big. And, and any of these coping mechanisms are in fact just that. So when anyone is going through any of those stages, uh, the, the ideal is to see that with compassion because to know that stage is reflecting probably their state of readiness to really absorb a very difficult what is situation. Absolutely. What was the evolution for you of coming to go, oh, not only is this right, but it's very, very serious. The, the, well, 
as I said, I resisted it for a long time and I really had bought into the societal narrative that autism is a tragedy. I had, I really believed that. I really thought this is terrible. It's something to be changed, eradicated, and that my child was broken and that it was my job as a good mother to fix him. Right. So I really embodied that. And so I spent many years trying to fix him, change him, heal him, make him different, make the autism go away, make the symptoms go away. Uh, only to, so I totally was not in acceptance whatsoever, but it was through many years of trying absolutely anything, throwing a small fortune, uh, which I shudder when I start calculating the numbers, right. the credit card debt that, you know, how much money was spent on oh my God, I have to fix this. I have to fix Ethan and, and, and other, his life is at stake. And um, I spent many years until over time, you begin to realize that didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. That helped a little, but it didn't change him. That helped somewhat, but he still has these symptoms. And overall, you begin to see over time that this is not something that if I figure out the magic formula, I'll cure it, make it go away. Right. Yes. It's not something I can figure out. Did you by any chance, oh, by any chance, obviously question, did you feel at any time that this was my fault? I did this somehow. Oh. At, very quickly. Um, I think most mothers go through that stage of being responsible for everything right. and wanting to control absolutely everything. And part of that. Uh, it's nice to take control and be accountable. And on the other hand, you know, even the things you can't control. So you start blaming yourself and shaming yourself. Was it something I did? Was it something I ate? Um, is it where I chose to live? Was right. it um, vaccinations, not vaccinations? You know, you start, was it this? I took this drug. I didn't take that drug. He had a um, RSV is an infant, which is a, a severe infection. And I said, okay, that he can have antibiotics, very intensive antibiotics. Was that what triggered it? Oh, wait, genetics. Um, you know, it's in the family that I have a, a nephew with, you know, with Asperger's. And so is that, is it my fault? So there's so much, so I'm not even, scratching the surface of all the different elements because they don't know what causes autism. Um, there are many contributing factors, uh, but there's not one slam dunk cause um, so that while you can have lots of things that are at play, nothing is a determinant. And what is it that activates the okay, the gene is going to turn on or, okay, the gene is going to turn on and it's going to be very minor, moderate, severe. So there's so much that we don't know yet about what causes autism that it's very easy in our pain and desperation to deal with it, to assume all kinds of, of blame and responsibility. Sure. And you didn't have, as you said, anyone to speak to. I mean, maybe the doctor would tell you the best they could, but they don't know. And so you had no support, there was no support system out there. 
No, there, there was no support system really. Um, the, the support groups that do exist that I found at the time for moms of autistic kids or, you know, uh, special needs kids, I would find myself going to them, Tom, and I'd walk out shaking. I'd be like, I'd be in worse shape leaving than I was when I went in. And I was like, why is that? What's going on? And I came to see fairly quickly is that those places as they were run in my experience was places where people would dump their despair. They would bring their horror stories. This happened and then this happened and then he did this and can you believe that? And it became this, can you beat this atrocity kind of a story where you'd walk out like, oh my God, (laughs) get me out of here. So there was no peer support at that time that was consoling to me. And, um, and in fact, the normal support systems, people don't often know this, although the parents know it very well, and it's a, an unhappy surprise that with an autism diagnosis, often the support people go away. There are family members who go away, friends who stop calling, people who disappear, because it's very difficult and they don't know what to do with you. And I know I was a mess and I wasn't fun to be around. And people say, I don't know what to do with this screaming kid and with an upset mother and people go away. So the support system as it had existed for me collapsed and there was no replacement for it until I did begin to find my own community of others in this situation, and then we could lift each other up without judgment in, in this. And, but, and when I found that, that was amazing. Until I found it, I was in deep isolation and despair. Well, I'm glad you found it. It was part of the reason that you couldn't connect because your situation was more severe for your, your son's situation than some as you mentioned, there's, a, there's mild and there's some, you know, moderate and then there's severe. And yours was severe, I take it. Yes, yes. Well, you're, it's a very multidimensional question. So yes, because of the very wide spectrum of autism, um, you have people who are quirky and who the media knows about, the TV show, The Good Doctor, they hear Elon Musk saying he's autistic. And then you have though, and people think that's autism and it, it is. And, and those needs are real. The people on the higher end, moderate to um, higher end have very real needs, social anxiety, awkwardness, lack of social skills, job interview issues, um, job performance issues, people who are very smart, but don't know how to interact well or can't communicate their feelings well. That, those are very real issues. My son, though, is on the other end, the hidden end, the severe end. These are kids who do not speak, many of them, or they have unreliable speech. They can't really speak or they can, speak or they can only echo what they hear. They have um, things called uh, stereotypy or stimming, which are self-soothing behaviors that help the nervous system calm itself, but look odd. Um, many of them are self-injuring or they, so they injure themselves, they injure other people. 
Ethan would bang his head continually through the day. That the walls of our house were shattered from Ethan putting his head through the wall. Wow. Uh, I stopped repairing the walls after a while because it would just, he'd do it again. We'd had to have him have an MRI of his eyes under sedation to make sure he hadn't detached his retinas. But this is the seat. People don't talk about this. And this is part of the issue of finding support. We're isolated. We're hidden in the house because I, I would stay in the house with Ethan and my husband and other son would go out because I couldn't leave because where would I go with him and keep him safe, keep him under control, keep myself safe. So it really becomes a self-fulfilling, self-perpetuating cycle when you have someone with severe autism, if their needs are not getting met. Wow. That's, that is fascinating because I would be one to say that I did not really understand that. I have a grandson who is on the uh, Asperger's you know, who I know I talk to and he has these issues you've already mentioned and he needs certain help, but he's able to function in the world and, and continue to live. But um, to have that kind of uh, outbreaks and difficulty and be alone in it, it's very difficult, very difficult. It, it is. And let me just say there, Tom, though, each group who has a different level of need or different type of need, each group is to be honored and supported. I'm certainly not saying today, my need is more important than, you know, your, your grandson's need or, or, and, you know, anyone else's need. It's more to say, be aware of the different types of need and then meet the need of each of these groups through your awareness of and asking the question, the inquiry in compassion and the desire to understand what's going on. And, you know, what do you always ask those core questions, those loving questions? What do you need? How can I help? Right. Well, that, I, I, that's very lovely of you and very generous and correct. To, everyone needs the understanding and ep empathy from other people. One of the things that I sense from what you're saying for families that have a child with severe autism is the loss of people. The people go away because I, I imagine because people are afraid and they don't know what to do and they don't right. know how to handle it. Right, right. And in the I will tell you, I complete you know, full disclosure, in the beginning, I was devastated when that happened. I was really angry. I was really judgmental. I was really sad and I felt betrayed. How could they do this? Right. But over time, I came to realize, wow, you know, they didn't know what to do. They were in a hard spot. They, they, they cared and they didn't know what to do. And they felt they couldn't ask me because I was a crazy person. And they, you know, I was very upset and dysregulated myself. Um, and they didn't know what to do. So I have learned compassion for the people who didn't know what to do. And therefore, my guidance now in general, is if you don't know what to do, say so and acknowledge, you know, I don't know what to do. I, I want to help and I don't know how, and I'm really scared that I, I don't, I can't, and I'm not enough to be able to help you. That alone, that vulnerability and that courage is what can pave the way for a new, even better relationship than before, even in the face of something so difficult. 
It was very important. Now, you mentioned that you were a crazy person, and I understand <laughs> what you mean by that, but you are not today. Tell us more about the process that took you to where you are today, where you're helping other people, and you seem rather sane to me. I mean, maybe behind <laughs> you're hiding some craziness, but I think you're free. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah, I... Um... I had quite a hard time and I was very, very sad and, and I, I was depressed. And really there was a phase when Ethan was completely, it felt out of control and dysregulated and I truly didn't know what to do. And I felt judgment from every angle um, that there were days where I thought, gee, would everyone be better off if I weren't here? I mean, I really was in a dark place. And I know that many other moms of severely autistic people have shared that deep pain um, that we've experienced. And um, part of the pain was that when Ethan was five years old, I brought him into New York for evaluation. And they told me when he was five years old that he had the mental capacity of a five month old baby. So it was horrific news. It was horrible. I had never heard such, or since, I had mm. never heard such horrible news. And I went into real, grief around that. Um, and it totally affected my view of Ethan, what he understood, what he cared about, my relationship with him, and so much of that. And mostly because he could not really speak. Right. He has a little bit of language, but very little, very unreliable language. And so this was my assumption of him. I'll cut many of this, the uh, chapters of the story uh, short for you in that finally we found, we started out Ethan at a school for, that was all focused on behavior and making him look like all the other kids. And that was fine until it didn't work. And we had to move him out. And we found another school that had a very different approach. And one of the things that was focused much more on relationship um, than on the behavior. Wow. And one of the things they offered were many different communication techniques, including facilitated communication, which has many names, uh, supported typing, spelling to communicate. But that became that technique was a game changer for Ethan because all of a sudden, we saw we were able to witness this profound intelligence that we had not imagined was even there. I mean, again, I was told when he was five years old, he had the mental capacity of a five month, uh, five month old. Right. So what do you mean? There's, there's this brilliant kid in there, but he was typing these crazy things. We would ask him questions that only he would know the answer to, to test. Is this real? Is this him? Is that the teacher? Ethan, what color is your room? And he would the walls are blue, the ceiling is white. I mean, the teacher would have no idea what color his room was. So we knew that this was on track for Ethan. And- And how old he, was he at this time? At this time, he was nine. Nine, okay. He had been in the behavior school from the age of uh, three to nine. And that's when we moved him. And that was where we had the glimpse of, wow, this kid is typing all kinds of things. Um, Two quick examples, his very first week there, uh, the teacher, the typing teacher said to him, Ethan, you're here now at the new school for a week. How do you like it here? And she said, give me three words. And she told me later she only asked him for three words because she didn't want to overwhelm him. 
And there was a very big contrast between the old school and the new school. And she thought, all right, this will be an easy question. You know, the new school is big and loud and busy, you know, and the other one wasn't. She's like, okay, this is an easy question. The three words that Ethan typed were basking in joy. Wow. That's what I said. I'm like, wait, 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 how can this be? I mean, this was the kid who can't really think and doesn't have much going on in there, right? And doesn't feel anything. And like, this is what he typed. And then another time I go into type with him and he's, you know, we, we type and the teacher says, what does he like to do every day? Um, he likes to watch the news. Now this was seven years ago. No one wants to watch the news now. Um, but then, you know, then that's what he liked to do. And the, you know, the teacher said, Ethan, mom says you like to watch the news. Why do you like to watch the news? And he types, um, I'm interested in global things. Really? That's very cool. Why are you interested in global things? I'm interested in conflict. So Miss Neurotic over here, I'm pointing to myself. I get nervous. Why is he interested in conflict? Is he a criminal? And this is probably the right moment to tell you, Tom, that Ethan will not type with me. And when I asked him, why won't you type with me? And no, and he actually would use language. No, <laughs> no, mommy, why not, Ethan? Why won't you type with me? And he typed with the teacher, you're too tense. Wow. Yeah. So it was like, we all, everyone in the room, it's on video. We all cracked up because yes, mom can be too tense. So the teacher though, is calm as anything. And she says, Ethan, you know, um, why are you interested in conflict? And Ethan types, I have ideas for peace. Really, she said, can you give us an example? Let people make their own decisions. Don't make them fight if they want peace. And in that moment, Tom, I knew she didn't type that. Ethan typed that. And that was the beginning of his revealing this deep thought, profound thinking, um, and desire for peace. And this is what Ethan thinks about. It's what he cares about. Friendship, love, connection, his family. This is what Ethan thinks about all the time. Now, what really changed me, because that was all beginning, and I'm answering your question, there then was a final conversation where we with all the typing, Ethan still had autism and he still had very dysregulated violent behaviors. And we made the very hard gut-wrenching decision for him to go away to a school, a residential school for kids with severe autism. Right. And I knew I would be losing the typing. So I went in extra sessions and I said, Ethan, I know that you enjoy going uh, to the special needs service at the synagogue every month, but I realized I never asked you, what are your thoughts about God? And this was the conversation, Tom. Ethan, God is in my heart and he will always protect me. I was stunned. I was not expecting that. And I was kind of a smart aleck. I said, well, did he tell you that? When I lived in heaven, he told me that. Do you remember that time when I lived with God? I wasn't named Ethan yet. What was your name? 
I was not to remember it. I had many before. Do you remember anything from that time? And at that point, Ethan said verbally, no, thank you. But he typed, we should talk about it when nobody is here. Well, I said, who should leave? Should Lisa, the teacher, leave? And Ethan verbally said, no. So Lisa said to him, should mom go? And Ethan verbally said, no. There was one more person in the room. Because of the severe behaviors, we had to have a strong young man with us all the time to keep everyone safe. Kyle was a sweetheart, but he was skeptical about the typing. And Ethan felt that. So I said, should Kyle leave? And Ethan said a word that's difficult for him. He said, yes. So Kyle left the room and Ethan continued to type. I remember life with no body. When you go to heaven, there are no bodies, just spectacular energy. Did you choose to come here as Ethan Rome? Yes, I picked to be me and have many challenges. Did you pick us as your family? We were family another time. We didn't live here. We lived in a small group, but got hurt by warriors. Why did you choose to come back with challenges? I will be greatly rewarded in eternity. Is there anything we should do to help you? I have to complete my journey as prescribed by God. Does it feel longer than you thought it would be? Yes, the journey is unfathomably longer than expected. And I had to ask him again, what should we do to help you on the journey? You just have to love me. And that is your job. The rest is my job to do. Wow. I am almost speechless. I mean, this is not my job to be speechless. But <laughs> that is so amazing and wonderful. And Thank you, Tom. How, how did you feel? What, what was your response? Oh, my goodness. I remember how I felt. I remember I took a deep breath, which I think was the first deep breath I had taken in 11 years. He was 11 years old at this point. And I remember a wave of relief flooded me when he said that. You just have to love me. The wave of relief and the deep breath because the thought that went through my mind and I could cry was, I can do that. I can do that. I, I can't do anything else. I couldn't fix him, but I can love him. Yes, you can love him. And you got a message that I'm getting very clearly that he's not broken. Exactly. This was the great news. That he didn't say, Mom, your job is to fix me. Your job is to find the doctor in, you know, wherever land to make me okay. I'm okay. Stay in your lane, Mom, basically, and stop trying to change me. Mom, love yourself. Focus on you. And then we, that's what I heard, Tom, loud and clear by each human being loving that's all we can do we can only change ourselves and our own behavior and in accepting and loving ourselves unconditionally we model that for our 
neurodiverse kids, for our typical kids, for every human being in our world. And we show, I love myself because I am made in God's image and I am worthy just for being here. I don't have to prove anything or prove to anyone that I deserve to be here. And that is the message for every human being. It is love thy neighbor as thyself. And if everyone did start from that foundation, what a different world it would be. Absolutely. What a different world indeed. And it, it brings to mind something that comes out of actually from I heard first in 12-step programs, where also the, the uh, concept is you're not to fix anybody. You just take care of yourself. But it says how different things look since I've changed. <laughs> and it's, your son didn't change. No. He was who he always was. But you now see him differently and saw him differently. My, my awareness has, has shifted completely. And now you're taking this awareness and this understanding to other people. It, it exactly. And it's, it's not to minimize or downplay a difficult situation, but we can't, it is about accepting a circumstance, a what is situation and then saying, I can change my response to the situation. And that is everything. The right. meaning I choose to give it, the impact I choose to have it make. And if I choose to focus on the good, there will be that much more good. And that is the decision to love. Because if you think about it, Tom, who has the longest list of everything that's wrong with us? The people who love us. Who has the longest list of all that's wonderful about us? The people who love us. The, to love is to choose, to focus on the good. It doesn't mean I don't know that there's a long list of not so great stuff, right. but I choose to focus on the good. And in my choice, that on which I focus, the good will only grow. Right. And I think also what it's saying is, I let go of my fear yes. and I love. Well, if I can love, I'm not afraid. I mean, it's, you're not perfectly happy with the situation, but, but you let go of the fear so that you can love. Yes. And when I'm afraid, I do. It's all, every decision is between love and fear. Right. And when I feel afraid, I say, what is the loving thing that is needed right now? in this moment, not a hundred years from now, the next nanosecond, what is the loving thing I can do right now? And it might be just take a breath. Might be nothing. The nothing, yes. The nothing, which is the everything. Right. Of being alive and grateful for this magnificent life that is our gift, whatever container we're in, because after all, candles all look different, but the flame is the same. There's heat from all of them. Yes, and light from and all light, of them. And light, and yes. light. And how do you work with people now? Do you do individual work or do you work in groups? Or how, what do you do? Yes, yes, and yes. It really has to do with what the individual needs. Uh, some people need more intensive 
work um, individually and others thrive more in community and a combination thereof. So I have both um, individual and, and group settings for people to come together. I have a, a free monthly gathering for moms to just come and be held, embraced, seen and heard virtually um, just so that they know they're not alone because that is back to the basics of all this, that you are not isolated, you are not alone ever. Um, and, and open your awareness and take the hand that's right there offering the help. Well, that's beautiful. And speaking of that, time has just run by us and I, I could talk for hours with you about this, but time is, has caught up with us. And you're saying if people want help, it's there. Yes. If they're interested, people who are listening to this now would like to get in touch with you. What is the best way for them to reach out to you? The easiest way is go to my website, HeidiRome.com. That's H-E-I-D-I-R-O-M-E.com. Okay. Very good. HeidiRome.com. Well, Heidi Rome, this has been a magnificent half hour. I've loved every moment of it. The revelations, the, the understanding, the compassion. And the help that you're offering is just wonderful. So I thank you so much for being who you are and for being given and taking this opportunity to help others. Thank you, Tom. And thank you for creating this forum that lets people learn about what's out there so that you are truly the light in the darkness. Well, first it lightens my darkness and now I hope it will lighten our audience's darkness and they will smile. But thank you for helping in that cause. Thank you. Thank you.